It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to Steel and Vance. It is post Linda's birthday. Oh yeah. Oh, that was a lot. Of, no, I was going to say it's last year. No, it's still this year. Still this year. But now we're pushing toward New Year's Eve, and we've had quite the year and amazing guests. So we want to kind of pick through a couple of our favorites and some new ones, new yes. favorites. We've got a freshie for you. But as you well. know what I thought would be kind of cool is that there's a lot of people sitting around the house downtime over the holidays, and you're thinking we should play a game. Well, there's this really cool thing Vanity Fair does called the Proust Questionnaire, and they ask um, celebrities these really cool questions that make you think. And I thought this would be a great, get out a pencil and a piece of paper and start to jot these down because it's a great way to get to know someone. It's kind of fun. And we thought maybe this is a way that you could get to know Jody and I a little bit better through the Proust questionnaire. So, so we've not looked at these questions prior to, right? Linda created the boards that you're about to see and we both kind of made a pack. We were in the car actually driving back from one of the shows and Linda came up with this idea and said, you know what, and if we don't really think about it too much and we just do it authentically, we think our audience would love it. So should we just dive in? Yes, because okay. we haven't really thought about it. Let's so go. question number one, I will ask to okay. Jody, and then I'll answer, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Perfect happiness, being together with the people I love. I love everybody around the table or just cozy or just quiet. Just when, when, when the family's home, the dogs are home, and I know everybody's okay, that's happy for me. For you? me, uh, I mean, it's obviously being around people I love, but uh, my real happy place is to snuggle up in something cozy, get my heater on, be in bed, propped up in pillows, and watch an Edmonton Oilers game. Oh. That's my perfect idea of happiness. I love that. Okay, what's our next question? I have to, what is your greatest fear, Linda? You know what I have to say, and I don't mean to be a bummer over the holidays, but my greatest fear is getting dementia mm. because my mom was diagnosed with Lewy bodies and she passed in uh, 2015. And my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and obviously there is a familial risk. And so, yeah, I have seen that uh, monster. I've walked that journey with both my folks. Aww. And honestly, if I knew, if I found out, I would make plans to take things into my own hands and I don't mean like you know instantly but I just mean I wish that there was advanced consent I see mine is a little bit more I think universal my greatest fear is flying I almost what crashed. yeah I almost crashed in an airplane once I had 45 minutes of you're gonna die and it was awful and I've, I still travel I still fly I still go but it is the thing that I have to sit and overcome. I, I will sit quietly and cry on an airplane. I'm so lucky because I'm just bored with the whole process. Let's I just wish. get there. Oh, oh, it's done. Let's get off. I don't even think about it. Nope. I'm terrified. It's all I can think of from the second I book it. And it, yeah, it's changed me. Okay. Uh, next question, Jody. What do you most dislike about your appearance? Oh, my goodness. Probably my skinny legs. 
Skinny legs? Yeah, I've got stick Better legs. Better than like, fat legs. But chicken legs. <laughs> like, I've literally, there's, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time beating myself up. I don't look in the mirror much. <laughs> what about uh, you? Well, I have many things if I had to make a list. But the one thing that I just think, hey, I can't do anything about it. I come from a family of sort of apple-shaped people with no bums. So <laughs> if I stood to the side, you wouldn't be able to tell which was the front, which was the back. Everybody's going to be staring at Linda's bum. Yeah, That's good thing we're sitting happen. down. I think you're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> funny you. what we pick about ourselves. Hey, I never, ever noticed that right. about you. Okay, I next wish question. I could take the fat from my waist and roll it down to my butt. What is the quality you most like in a man? Uh, I would say loyalty and honesty. Well, there, there are many qualities and yeah. ethics. So I have like some non-negotiable things. You must be honest. You must be loyal. You must be kind. Um, you must be a lifelong learner. I want the person that I am going to spend my life with, my husband, I'm super lucky that he has all of those things, to be a good human being who treats other people honestly and fairly and with compassion. I would say trust. Yeah. That's my number one. I trust. mean, obviously a man that can cook, right, Brian? Yeah. I mean, am I right? But trust for me. If you break my trust, I, there's no coming back from it. Mm -hmm. It's just a... It's like a switch in Done. Me. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, over. Totally understand. Next question. What do we All have? Right. Uh, what talent would you most like to have, Jody? Oh, I'd love to be a drummer. Like oh, in a I'd rock band. I'd love to band. be a drummer too. Really? Yeah. See, we didn't know. I'd love to be able to like hit it on stage like Dave Grohl. If I could come back as someone else and then just even for a week, I'd love to be the captain of an NHL hockey team. Oh, that'd be fun too. Because it would be all the skill set and it's fun and the I'd crowd like to be Taylor and Taylor Swift team. for a day. Well, I mean, that'd we could be talk pretty about cool too. We <laughs> talk about this all day. Uh, okay, next, next question. Um, which living person do you most despise? Would you like to say this in tandem, Linda? Yes. Three, One, two, two, three. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> oh Why God. do you despise him? Because he it, he embodies everything that we hope this world wouldn't have, uh, you know, mocking people with disabilities, grabbing at women, being just, just he projects what he is, mm. and when he's putting out there the negativity and the and the lawlessness, frankly, the alleged crimes, we'll say, because it all hasn't come down, but just everything about what he's unleashed in this world makes yes. me feel like. We're spiraling. Yeah, I'm going to say it fast. He's a liar. He's a misogynist. He's a racist. He's a grifter. He's unkind. Um, I could go on and on, but I don't want to spend any more time on Donald Trump. We're flipping the you page. Know? Next question is, if you were to die and come back uh, as a person or thing, what would it be? This sort of tracks to I would come back as an NHL captain of a team, but I'd also love to be um, a musician who can sing and play the guitar. I'd like to be an owl. Whoa, really? Yeah, Why? Just so you can soar above everyone? Yeah. Just, you know, with take its it little all in. tiny bird brain, you don't have to worry about anything. But you can spin your head around. Oh, that's true. That's good. <laughs> One more. <laughs> this is how spontaneous this is. What is your greatest regret? Greatest regret. Oh, darn it. I should have thought about this. Oh, my greatest regret is that I wasn't able to find a way to have a healthier relationship with my mom mm. before she got dementia. We did find a way through dementia to each other, but I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. My greatest regret is how I broke up with one really special boyfriend years and years ago. I don't even know if anybody would know this story. He was older than I was, and he was so wonderful, and I was so young that the way I was like, you know what? I'm out. I could have handled it 
much, much better. And, and with age, I've, I've caught myself looking back and thinking, God, I wish I'd done better with that. I'm pretty sure we all have one of those stories. So we could have kept going, but that's fun. Google Prost Questionnaire Vanity Fair and have fun with it with your family and friends over the holidays because it's a good way cool. to get to know each other. Speaking of cool, we've got we've got Chef Bruno coming up on the show. We've got Randall McDonald, who's a fabulista, and Biff, Biff naked. naked. So enjoy this. Stay we'll tuned. be back in a moment. Who knew that you and I, when we were choosing our holiday show and our favorite guests, that we would talk baking? Oh my goodness, I'm just the biggest fan in the world of Chef Bruno Feldeisen. He's a pastry chef, star of the Great Canadian Baking Show, uh, a judge. We loved this interview. We, we wanted you to see it again. Because butter makes it better. Clearly Bruno made this challenge because there's butter. Your butter could use a bit more fat. You know, meaning butter. 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 It's a lot of butter. <laughs> it's good though. Who doesn't like butter? Butter's my favorite food, so. It's true, everything's better with butter and everything's better with Bruno and Linda. You and I have talked about this throughout the pandemic. We found our, sh our mm -hmm. shows that brought us calm and brought us sort of a little bit of zen. I was shocked to hear that you were a great Canadian baking show viewer. Because I barely know how to turn my oven on and I am not kidding. So why do I love this show? Well, why do I love the man we're about to introduce to you? Bruno Felteisen is uh, a pastry chef. He is a judge on the Great Canadian Baking She's Show. Better than butter. He has, uh, you were the former executive pastry chef at the Four Seasons in yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, for, uh, for four years. Wow. Mm -hmm. With Ned Bell and the team there. Yeah, Ned Bell, many chefs, many talented chefs. Great, great crew. Yeah. yeah. Amazing place. We were saying, <coughs> what? I didn't even know you live in <coughs> Vancouver. Everybody assumes you live in Toronto or something. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, um, Vancouver has been my home for uh, 14 years now. But your neighbor didn't believe you. No, when I just moved uh, outside of Vancouver to a new building and I bump into a neighbor who looked at me and said, Dude, you look like the guy on a baking show. And I'm saying, it's me. And the guy didn't believe me. So, yeah, good try. But you do sound and look like him. You know? Wow. Uh, you know, it's to Jody's point, I am someone I don't bake. I don't even uh -huh. cook, really. And it does seem kind of bizarre that I have found this show. But I found it during the pandemic when I was suffering from anxiety and I was stressed out. And I found it was like a hug. It just Love sort it. of chilled me out and, and it was just calm and people seemed friendly. What do you think the success is? I think it's having people who are authentic on the show, who are very generous with their talent and time. I mean, you know, it's a huge time commitment for the baker to be on the show. How yeah. long is the taping? If, if, if you make it to the final, we're talking weeks, wow. you know, um, yeah, seven weeks, six, seven weeks. So just for that, I think it shows how generous people can be. And then after, it's the talent and, um, yeah, the talent. The, the judges? The judge. No, you know, <laughs> it, the show is not about us. People forget, you know, and I think to be a good judge on a show, a mini show, it's not about me. It's yeah. about the bakers. And that's a key, I think, people can, when they see the show, they realize it. Yeah. You know, me, I'm just part of the equation. I'm bringing solutions. And, some and challenges, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there's I so many questions. Unlike Linda, we joke all the time because I went to culinary school uh -huh. before getting into broadcast and my partner is a chef. And then we've got the one that does not turn the on her oven. You know, but we both, so there's a little something for everyone mm -hmm. in the Great Canadian Baking Show, which is, is wonderful. And that it's not a popularity contest. 
you know, it's not. It's about giving. Yeah. You know, I, I do I do cooking and baking. Cooking is really at the core. Cooking is about survival. Yeah. You go hunt, fish, harvest to feed yourself and the family and the community to some extent. Baking is different. Baking is about gifting, celebrating, um, you know, giving away something in the office. So the approach is way different, yeah. and there is a larger sense of, you know pleasure to it. It is all rooted yeah. in pleasure, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's it a lot harder than it looks because I am a horrible baker. I think I did, for my final exam at Pierre de Brule, mm -hmm. I did 16 sponge cakes and no two were alike. It's <laughs> chemistry, man. It's hard. It's chemistry, so consistency. When Lauren, Lauren was the winner of not the current season, but last season. She's from, six, yeah. from Tawasin, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this young woman, I mean, we were just like, yes, in our, so it makes you feel good following along with the yeah, because you know, it's you know, to be a good baker, it's not always about recipes right. or about having twenty years or thirty years of experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's the ability to understand the task, to be very flexible, and to be very creative and resourceful. I think it's uh, it's very important. You know, it's interesting <coughs> when I watch you on mm -hmm. TV. I think here's this very elegant, dignified, um, accomplished man. Okay. Yeah, You're a gentleman. You. And uh, and while this guy has no cares in the world, he's on top of the world, he's a big success. And then I read your story and it turns out that you have really had a lot of challenges, especially in your childhood, that you had to endure. Can you tell us the story? Yeah, you know, the funny part was, no, the interesting part, it's, I thought that was normal <laughs> because that's all you know. Right. So I grew up with a lot of challenges, you know, in a time where social support was almost non-existent, where nobody spoke about therapy. So I'm like, you know, it's tough, but that's the only life I knew. Tell so, us about your challenges. <coughs> so for our viewers who are like, so, I only know Bruno as this amazing yeah, baker. So, you know, I grew up with my mom who had their own trauma in life who end up dying from an overdose on the street at 36 years old. I grew up in foster care, never met my dad. I met him once for 10 minutes. And then I, um, yeah, it's, you know, but I'm like, again, because that's the only life, you know, you're like, okay, it's fine. You know, so you, you, you develop a sense of uh, survival. You know, I think that the luck I had, I never touched drugs because I've seen the damage to my own mom. So I, I never did drugs because of that. So it kind of saved me from a lot of trouble. I've seen friends who grew up with me in foster care system who died from, you know, overdose, from suicide. Uh, I think for me, it came back to me very hard where, you know, uh, I was in New York, top of my game, mid-30s where anxiety came back to me with a vengeance. You know, I started to have panic attack and I couldn't do it. I dropped out from top of my career, making a lot of money, having a great life in New York, to becoming bankrupt, couldn't hold a job, lost everything. So, you know, so at one point you have to decide, you know, I need to look for help, you know. Doing self-therapy does not work. Right. It helps, but does not resolve the issue. So what was the catalyst <coughs> that helped you? What, I think when I became a father, I, mean, yeah. I became a father late in life. I mean, late in life, <laughs> let me rephrase it, uh, in my early 40s. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I cannot live trapped in that mindset. You know, uh, I, I was a survivor for sure. I knew that. I knew how to come out from trauma on my own. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to become a warrior and I think my son helped me to understand the difference. 
where. You know, yeah, the past defines who I am, but does, n does not need to dictate where I'm going to go. Oh, that's you know? an And that's the difference, too. You know? We live in uh, one of the most beautiful parts of the world, yeah. and yet we also see the poverty, we see people struggling with mental health, we see the addiction. <coughs> what do you think when you so see I that? Sometimes, so often we see on the news, Vancouver raided the best city in the world, and, you know, it's all over front page, and that makes me so angry. Yeah. Because we are not the best city in the world, you know. Just take a walk in the, uh, you know, east side. It's it's mind blowing that we treat homeless as criminal. Housing is a big issue. Access to food is a bigger issue than ever. Yeah. And uh, people making six figures struggle. You Which know. is crazy. It's crazy. So um, yeah, I can relate. I can feel the pain. Um, I think as a society, as a country, we can do way better. You know, we are in no position to critique other places, other countries, right. because on our own backyard, it's it's not pretty. It's so why sad. are we frozen here? It seems like the conversation Linda and I have been talking <coughs> about for years and years, long before this show, we've been talking about on radio, the shortcomings mm -hmm. of our city and, and the greater Metro Vancouver and even across the province when it comes to homelessness and affordability and housing crisis and such. Is there is there a, like one domino that everybody's neglecting to push over? Is everybody afraid to do one thing? I think all politicians from across the spectrum of ideas don't know what to do. <clears throat> they are frozen themselves. They are fear full of doing anything wrong. Right. Uh, I mean, drug is a major issue. You know, I mean, my son was when he was two years ago, so he was 15. His best friend die from a drug overdose. Oh, no. So for me, I was like mind blowing that kids at age have access to drugs. Yeah. Um, to three years ago, or four, uh, before COVID, I was doing a fundraising for Cost Mental Health, spoke to the chief of police in Vancouver, um, Mr. Chu, who told me during the conversation, you know, any given time in Vancouver, there is about 400 kids living on the street. Yeah. And I have to ask the question twice because I think maybe I didn't understood properly, you know. Yeah. And kids. living on the street is a vague definition, but, you know, it shows you the scale of the issue, you know. And uh, so it's housing, it's access to food, it's income. Um, you don't even know where to start, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a lack of political will to fix it. We, uh, you know, mental health is a big issue in Canada. Uh, if you want to go through therapy, it's therapy. It's extremely expensive. You know, it's two hundred. It's oppressively expensive. Two hundred sixty dollars an hour an for an hour. Yeah, which and makes me think, in a way, that I feel like we need almost like a pandemic type response, yeah. where the government pushed in hundreds of billions of dollars. Exactly. And I think <clears throat> we need to do that at that scale yeah. to crack down and figure out the housing situation to make sure there's treatment on demand? There is extreme solutions, you know, there is a, there is possibility to make it better, but I think there is a lack of will to do it. Yep. Yeah. There is, you know, always is somebody else issue, somebody else problem. It's but political at, football. Yeah, it, but people. At the end of the day, it's my problem, it's your problem, mm -hmm. it's a viewer's problem because it affects everybody. It affects school, safety, security. I mean, you see people on the street begging for food in Vancouver. Yeah. I'm like, how is that possible? It's how embarrassing it? to it's me. It's more expensive to keep people out unhoused yeah. than it would be to yeah. actually you know, pay per, people. Per square feet yeah. in Vancouver, it's more expensive to rent a single occupancy room per square feet. It's more expensive than uh, some of the high-end condos. So wow. people on the street are being abused from the top, from the bottom. Uh, once you're in 
to that situation. I don't even know. You have to be a superhero to come out from that. Well, and that's, you know, I've talked to uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, mm -hmm. who's kind of a specialist <coughs> in addictions and said at the root of it, almost in every case, there's trauma. Yeah. And that's your scenario? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I was. My mom tried to kill me when I was 12 years old. So Your mom I have, tried to kill you. Yeah, so, How you know, so? How? She was didn't believe in anything and forced me to swallow pills, valiums, you know. So I ended up in hospital, you know, getting uh, stomach cleaning. Pumped, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, nobody stepped in to say maybe something is wrong here. They didn't. <clears throat> no, because you know, in the 70s, right. you know, again, everybody washed their hands. It was an know. accident. Something yeah. probably you probably got into yeah, the medicine and, cabinet. Um, so, yeah. yeah, to come out from that trauma, it takes strength, you know, I don't have the fact for me even to be on the show, it takes, you know, more time and more energy to do it, yeah. you know. Uh, am I suffering? I don't think I'm suffering. I'm quite happy. I have a good, I have a great life. But a lot of things, you know, a lot of situations create stress for me, yeah. which takes me more energy and time to manage, mm -hmm. you know. So I can imagine if you have trauma and you don't take care That's of it, it. Right. you know. You end up on the street very easily in Canada. You don't need to. Every time you talk about it, though, you're helping someone. Yeah. Because someone watching right now sees themselves yeah, in you and says, Bruno <coughs> actually pulled himself out of all of that trauma. Yeah, and, but I don't want to make it like it's easy. No, no you know, not easy. I'm very fortunate. I'm very, you know, I don't know. Sometimes people ask me, how do you do it? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm not somebody very religious. Maybe somebody was looking after me. But I think early on, I developed a sense of survival. You know, and on the back of my mind, every day I think like it's I can easily fall into that crack. Yeah. Losing a job, losing housing. You know, people get evicted, you know, renovation in Vancouver. Yeah. You know. And if you don't have family, friends, support, resource, you know, you can end up on the street very easily. Very easily. We love could have him. talk to Bruno mm -hmm. all day. I mean, what super a super smart, super fun. Love him so much. Love that show. Also love the guest that we had on earlier this year that we want to replay, I our think, favorite, I Biff think, Naked. Wasn't she our first show? She was. Pre premiere of season two. Yeah. And we're still talking about the fabulous Biff Naked. So stay tuned. That's coming up next on Steel and Vance. Steel and Vance Holiday Edition continues. And Linda, when we were trying to figure out who should be our first big guest, when we were rolling in season two of Steel and Vance, uh, you suggested our next replay. Love us some Biff Naked. Oh, man. There's no way that you can listen to that song without head bobbing. It gives me goosebumps. Right? It should be the anthem that opens this show because it personifies right? what we hope to bring here on Steel Nets. You know who's coming up here. We love this woman. Biff Naked. And I tell you this, and I'm not kidding in any way. I first met her when I was at CKNW and she came in to do an interview. And I was nervous because she's a badass. I mean, she's a rock and roll star and she, you know, we've got the tats and, and she's famous. And I thought, oh, I'm a little bit nervous. She was the nicest person, the nicest celebrity, no, not even celebrity, the nicest person I think ever. I've ever interviewed in my life. Down to earth, sweet, lovely, gracious, Authentic. thankful. 
Authentic. Authentic. And that, my experience, very similar to yours, breakfast television. Mm -hmm. Years and years ago, Biff came in one morning and I instantly had this love for her. Yeah. I felt safe with her. And we talked about really personal things. I know, right? And we're going to do that with her. Well, she's written a book. I she don't know has. if you've read it, but you should. It's called Ibificus. And this is one of the things that I talked about when we were doing the interview. Biff uh, talked about when she was going through breast cancer. Yeah. Um, her life has been so fascinating and her career is so varied and it is going and going and she's on a whole bunch of new projects. Should we get into Biff? Let's go. I'm Biff so Naked. Excited. Biff Naked is get joining us from Toronto. You guys are so sweet. And I feel the same way about both of you. Um, my my admiration for both of you is just it's absolutely unyielding. And um, and you're both gorgeous. I consider you both mentors and friends. And it makes me homesick. It makes me homesick. Come home. To talk you promise you. you're coming. You're coming here when you get back home. Right. Anytime. Open yeah. invitation. Seat at the table oh, at Steel and Vance, of course. Right. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. This is a big year for you, Biff, because this is the 25th anniversary of Ibificus. And I think, you know, to myself, 25 years ago, man, that seems like such a long time ago, so much water under the bridge. And then in other ways, it just seems like that. And when you think back, does it kind of shock you? They're like, oh my gosh, 25, a quarter of a century. It's, well, I mean, everyone, probably all of us as women, particularly, my, my only experience is as a woman. And, you know, 25 years for any woman, uh, we live lifetimes. We live lifetimes in 25 years. That's two and a half decades. And um, I mean, you know, children are born and, and weaned and, and leaving the nest and, you know, um, marriages come and sometimes die. <laughs> and um, my career has really been always my rock. Um, it's always been what I enjoy the most. It's my passion and I just love it. And I find with every passing year, as I get older and in my 50s, um, I just like it more and more. I love it and enjoy it more and more. And that's the same with life. I need to ask you about when you're on stage, because I've seen you so many times. I've been in the mosh pit down in front and sweating and screaming up at you yes. and seeing you perform. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a real gift that you bring. And, and I want to know from your perspective, what is, that, what is it like to, to inspire and, and see that humanity come together, especially in such divisive times? Oh boy, I mean, yes, post, post uh, all the lockdowns and coming back into performing has been uh, an absolute dream come true. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it before. I never took performing for granted ever. And every performance, I think the first 15 minutes is me uh, feeling like the same 18-year-old kid trying to impress all the punk rock guys. <laughs> that still fear is there. But then, you know, I wind up uh, talking with the audience. I talk so much in between songs, and I wind up connecting with people. I always cry during Lucky, sometimes during Spaceman. Yeah. And uh, and I look back at my drummer, Chico, and, I, and he's laughing because he knows that's not what I want to do. And I'm just like, Ugh. you know, I'm like, oh. I always look at him and go, and we laugh. Yeah. Um, and I just, I never get tired of it. I love it. I hope that I can perform until I'm 100. What is it that brings you to tears during those songs? 
Um, you know what is because I know that the song has some importance to a certain person or to people in the audience. I always dedicate "Lucky" to nurses, um, really? nice. and I always will. I think that um, nurses are, you know, the 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 unsung heroes uh, even before uh, the yeah. pandemic hit, and uh, and so well. I always uh, dedicate the song, and I always get emotional about it because often there are um, families in the audience who have been through a complete upheaval and health crises and uh, certainly cancer patients and breast cancer patients like myself yeah. and so we have this unspoken bond that is very deep and very um very true and and really it's just a pure uh pure gratitude that comes through and i sing that song which is so funny to me because i wrote it with uh, uh my boyfriend at the time when i think it was like 92 or something <laughs> and it was just like uh you know, a grungy, a grungy love song that was oh. like this, this love song that has really taken on a whole new meaning. And endured. And it, let's yeah. talk a little bit. You brought up your, your battle with breast cancer and, and, and how honest and raw and open you were throughout all of that. And, and, and here you are at this point in your life. Just, just for the viewer right now watching Steel and Vance who doesn't know that story, give us a little uh, taste of the experience Biff Naked had and has now mm -hmm. on the other side, gratefully. Well, you know, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was 36 years old. There was no Instagram. Uh, there were barely blogs. I don't even know if there was Facebook yet. Uh, to be honest. And so there wasn't a lot of other, I guess, forums available, except that BC Cancer, maybe there were some support group nights and stuff like that. So uh, there wasn't a lot of language surrounding cancer survival. There wasn't a lot of, um, it wasn't normal to talk about cancer. And that was something that was a journey I embarked on that I felt like, oh no, I have to talk about it um, uh, for other people because people keep asking me because I'm the singer, you know? And I just kind of looked at it like that. We're all sick and we're all bald. We all feel all these feelings together collectively and individually. And no one is asking their families about it, but people are asking me. So I'm gonna make sure that I always, you know, talk and try and advocate. And it was a great education into the healthcare system, uh, which led me down my path of volunteering. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that I survived and I, I wouldn't have survived without nurses and without um, the great care I got at BC Cancer. You know, Biff, one of the things that really struck me about you, uh, an interview that we did some years back, you were doing the welfare challenge, where I think you mm -hmm. had to live on $3 a day, and that's all you could have to buy food. You came into the studio and, you know, practically starving with uh, a couple of baggies of sliced up cucumbers, and you wanted mm -hmm. to share them with me. And I was like, no, 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 because that's all you're going to have to eat today. That's the mm -hmm. kind of giving person you are. And I'm curious to know, kind of expanding that to the need that we're seeing on the street and the homelessness, the Addiction, opioid crisis. crisis. Yep. Um, how, do, how are you feeling about that? And why did that touch you to the point where you felt you didn't have to do that, but you wanted to take part? Oh, yeah. And I think even today it's more important now and it's more relevant now. And unfortunately, organizations like Raise the Rates that was doing it at the time in, in Vancouver, um, they, you know, it's hard for them to, to, to stay motivated and focused because it just seems like the, the greater society really doesn't care 
half the time. And if anyone goes to Vancouver, you know, I've been all over the world and all over the country. There's nowhere else in the country that's like the downtown east side. Nowhere. Yeah. No. Um, and it's just because it's concentrated, it's very concentrated, dense population that is a very specific um, population. Um, you know, I think in other cities, it's a little more spread out. But, you know, with COVID, all that the pandemic really did was exacerbate the problems that already existed. How much do we love our Biff Naked? And she's a hard act to follow. I mean, all of these replays have been a hard act to follow, but our next guest is a fresh guest. And oh, is he a fabulista. Oh, indeed. Randall McDonald, friend of mine, host of a TV show, etiquette expert. You can't miss this. He's the human tornado. Coming up next. Hi. I'm Randall. I didn't always know how to wear clothes, or wear them appropriately, or push them to the limit as I struggle with my weight, but I always had a certain je ne sais quoi. And look at me now! Whether it's home decor, entertaining, or fashion, I'm here to help others find their inner Randall. We're gonna find our inner Randall right here, right now. So glad to have you here. Thank you, guys. We are gonna have so much fun because Randall McDonald, we call him, he calls himself the Fabulista. I'm a Fabulista. He Do you know what a is, Fabulista is? I don't, you're a what? A Fabulista is one knowing of everything fabulous. Oh, okay, well then that is exactly <laughs> what you are. Speaking so, of fabulous. Okay, oh, champagne. bringing champagne. Yeah. Because we are talking about New Year's Eve coming up in just a couple of days yep. here. And a lot of people have to plan, or maybe not. Maybe you want to stay at home and just pop your own bottle. Or maybe you want to take a bottle of bubbles and go somewhere. Randall's the guy who's going to teach us about the bubbles, about the stemware. Uh, maybe even about New Year's Eve etiquette yeah. a little bit as First well. he's going to pour us some bubbles right. because so we're little, already celebrating. It's Linda Steele's <laughs> belated birthday party <laughs> on Steele's. So a little <laughs> trivia. Okay. How many twists are there on the cage for any sparkling wine? 25. Seven. Uh, why? So when you're untwisting Count. seven times? Always seven. Really? And I let's did see not if, know that. Good for you. I'm let's impressed. see if I can do this right. Okay. okay. Let's see. Oh, it's a slow Jeez. one. Come on. Oh, oh, too loud. Too loud? You don't want a No, cork? you do. Why o not? Opening, That's the opening, opening a cork should sound like a nun passing gas in mass. Oh. <laughs> Which just is just silent little, and just deadly. Just <laughs> so when you hear a pop, what is happening is you are encouraging the bubbles to come flying up out of the bottle, which you don't want. You want to keep your bubbles captured as much as possible. So the worst thing that you can do, and if you're doing something cheap and cheerful, go for it, um, is that, you know, pop the cork off with your thumb or rip it off to make the sound. That's the worst, worst thing you can do for a champagne. If you're drinking a cava, a prosecco or something, go for it. I love shooting corks <laughs> off my balcony. Is it all champagne though? Okay, but now what about even no, the way you're not. pouring it? Do you not have to tip it and pour? Does that not get You can't. That's, that is, okay, well let's do this first. Oh, thank you. Darling. Thank you very much, Randall. Cheers. Cheers. Happy New Year. Happy Early New Year. Here's to 2024. Let's hope, oh, it's, let's hope it's better. Better than 2023. I am not buying, okay. I'm not buying the t-shirt. You're not? <laughs> okay, so that is a really good, really good point. Now, so Yum. I'm going to correct you right now. 
Am I holding it wrong? Completely wrong. Okay. Do, do you know I have doing? to do this? You're, you're warming your bubbles. You okay. never want to warm your bubbles. Now, if you want to be desperately pretentious, you hold it like this. Oh, that looks dangerous to me. I would probably pour it right now. <laughs> the old decolletage. Right? Okay, not okay. Not classy. So that is a good point. So yes, it does help if you tilt your glass to pour, you know, like, like people do with beer. Mm. Never had a beer, but I've heard that's what they do. <laughs> You've um, never had a beer. Why? Well, why would you have beer when there's bubbles? But I you also so. only fill to a certain spot, like knowing where to... Well, so part of it is um, if you overfill your glass... While it's sitting there, bubbles are escaping. Right. Like, and you know, even like I'm doing something very wrong right now, which is leaving my bottle open. So you should always have a champagne stopper because what it does is it stops the bubbles from escaping because they keep they keep escaping. Right. Because that the when you open it, the pressure wants to come out. So you should always have a champagne stopper for your bubbles, even if you're drinking the bottle, and it takes you well five minutes in my case, but an hour in yours maybe. You just want to you want to have a stopper on it. Okay. Okay. Before we get into the sort of champagne 101 and the stem work, yes. can we talk about this fabulous kind of outfit on the Fabulista? Tell us about this and your new venture. Yes. So um, I am working with a company called Frocks Box. Now, I, so <laughs> I'll tell you why they call it because you get your frock in a box. Okay. All right. And uh, they have been designing out of Europe for the past. No, 20 years so Deirdre Hackman from Concrete Clothiers and she wanted to get into menswear and she found me on social media and she was like we should collab on something so this is my first design beautiful it's called Emma Road and it comes with this fabulous yes you've sash. got the full-on uh, muscle going now when, when we first did it it was like feet and feet on the floor which would be great for the Met Gala where you just walk yeah. and drop and shoot Trail. And yeah mm -hmm. but I was like I will kill myself wearing this at an event. So we had, you got, to, you got to, we had to cut it. See, yeah. now what I like about this is if you ate a little too much at your New Year's <laughs> celebration, nobody could just, tell, right? That's you right, you're just like, oh, I'm all bustled. Right? 100%, yeah. So, um, yeah, so if you go to uh, uh, myfrocksbox.ca, uh, you can find us and you can order. And uh, the sky's the limit. We'll make whatever you want, but I have more creations coming out next year. All right. So let's talk about stemware then. Yes. I, these are all beautiful. I was just saying earlier that I have maybe three glasses in my entire. I know that's And she brought them home from here. <laughs> I've yeah. known her yeah. so long, you think this would have rubbed off. <laughs> these two go way back to Edmonton. So we go don't way be back. shocked if like I'm we... the one standing over here giggling, drinking my bubbles, because these oh, two I'm are... going to drink my bubbles, too. And you're holding I, I love both again. of you. Oh, but you know what? And don't I'm hold your shirt. Don't, don't hold your white wine like that, either. Don't? You can hold your red like that. Red or but, your but snifter of red. nothing above the top of the stem unless it's red. Got you. Okay, we're all just having another sip of our bubbles. Talk stemware. Tell us about what we should use. All of these, one of these, are they specific? Yes. What? Okay. So this particular glass, it's called a coupe. Now, the legend of the coupe is that it was based on the size of Marie Antoinette's breast. What? That is the, that's she the was legend. Tiny. More Can I just a, say <laughs> I've already fallen in love with you? Wow. More, more than a mouthful, it's a waste. Anyway. So that is Randall McDonald. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah. Um, that is a complete fallacy because in the 18th century, um, champagne, there was so much sediment in champagne. Mm. They used very tall glasses. They poured the champagne at the beginning of the meal and it had the whole meal for it to settle. And then it was drunk, drunk, consumed yeah. as a dessert. 
Okay. Because, all because the, the sediment, sediment yeah. would be at the yeah, bottom, the and then you'd be And we'll do another off. segment on Madame Clicquot, or the Widow Clicquot. Okay. And she's the one who invented riddling, which got rid of all the sediment. God really? bless. Really? She's wow. an amazing woman. Amazing woman. Anyway, the coop. The coop, you know, very Gatsby, that, that, you yeah, know, that type of thing. classy Horrible and fun. for your bubbles. Horrible. Right. Because surface, you have right? all this table surface, yeah. so all it's doing is your bubbles are just flying out of your glass. Yeah. Um, but it's fun. Now people think the flute. That is special. Is that not a champagne glass? This is a champagne flute. Okay, good. Terrible for your bubbles. Why? Why do Terrible they call it a champagne bubbles. flute did, and it's bad for bubbles? This. I'll tell you why. Okay. Tell us, Randall. The flute was invented so that you could see all your beautiful bubbles coming up the glass. Right. The drama. Yeah. The drama. Yeah. But you're losing all your bubbles. Okay. Mm, you're losing all your bubbles and there's not enough air. This is too much air surface. Not enough air surface. Is this is this, is this baby bear or is this Sorry. mama bear? <laughs> baby bear. So the, here's Just the one. Here's the one like thing I want to say. Champagne or anything, they're sparkling wine. Right. And the reason I emphasize wine is that people don't think of sparkling wine as having a nose and all the other characteristics mm. you think of other wines. Um, so when you're going to use one of these glasses, do something cheap and cheerful. Okay. You know? That's your Prosecco totally. one? Prosecco, mm -hmm. Cava, you know, maybe even a Cremant. Uh, never a champagne. No, no. Veuve. No, no Veuve ever will no. wear it. Okay. Do, you know do you know what Veuve means in French? No. It means widow. The widow Clicquot. Her husband died. She, her husband well, died. Back to her. Okay. She, yeah, she inherited, she inherited a small winery and she turned it into the champagne house we know today. Delicious. Okay. Yeah, I in did the 18th century. She, they, her family survived the revolution. Her husband dies. She's 28. Uh, so well, tell us what you drink. brought here, because yes. there are also people who want bubbles, but they do not drink. Don't Correct. want the alcohol. Yeah. Right. So I'm just going to go back to these for two seconds. Okay, yeah. Okay. So the reason, so this is considered, so these are all by Riedel. They're a Riedel champagne glass, and the reason they're perfect is two full. So one, you have a nice surface here for the air to get to it, but then it curves back in so your bubbles aren't escaping, but it's also big enough for your nose to okay. get in there. Okay. Wow. So you okay. can get that was a good nose shot. Well done to our technical crew. They got it. They got the shot. I'm surprised my nose can fit in. I almost did a spit take on that. There you go. So that's why this is the perfect champagne glass okay. for champagne. So yes, let's talk Delicious about it. Delicious champagne, by the yeah. way. It is. It is good. Thank and you. And do you know what? So we'll get back to it. But here's the thing I love about it. Do you know what the price of this is? $55. Get out. So that's a decent. That is price, a right? great price for yeah. champagne. We'll be most, zooming in on that. Don't worry. We're going to yeah. zoom in on well, it. Don't worry. <laughs> most champagnes, you're coming in 65, 70. Yeah. And then up. Yeah. At least. Yeah. For okay. it to taste any good. And this mm. does look like a lipstick all over it. Oh, okay. But it tastes so good. That glass good. is ruined. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, I have several options here. Kay. And I thought I wanted to talk a little bit about what the difference between bubbles are. So this champagne, which I love the name, Naughty, yes. is actually liberated from alcohol. So what's cool about it is that, and there's been a real movement with champagne houses to create these type of drinks, is historically non-alcoholic bubbles were oh, tasted horrible, terribly super sweet, super high in sugar. So sweet. This is only 14 calories a glass. 14. 14. That's Throw some great. vodka in there. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. it's, a, yeah. <laughs> it's um. It's, I'm here um, all week. Yeah. yeah, and it's vegan, <laughs> it's halal, oh. it's owned by a woman. Oh. Um, and no, what I... they do is they still make it method champenoise style, and then they de-alcoholize it. And 
what that means is on your palate, it still feels and tastes like champagne. Amazing. But you're not getting the, the buzz. We need some of that for Jan Arden. Yeah. Oh, does she not drink? She does not drink no. and she's vegan. She oh, would yeah, be yeah, all yeah. about that. I'll fix her. <laughs> um, so then this one is a cava. Now, a lot of people talk about Prosecco, cava interchangeably. They are completely different products. Prosecco's yeah. from Italy, much sweeter. This is a completely different grape varietal. And cavas are made method champenoise. Mm -hmm. The reason we get it so reasonable is because their economy is terrible. Spanish? Right. Spanish. Okay. So if you're if your choice is between a Prosecco and a cava, always go for the cava. $23, I think, for this. Or I think I'm good. counting like seven things I've already learned from Randall yeah. in these <laughs> yeah. few minutes. This yeah. is fantastic. So yeah. Next, if you next we're gonna go on to a Cremant. Now Cremant means any sparkling wine made in France, not in the Champagne not region. Not in the region. I've never even heard of okay. Cremant. Okay. No, okay. never heard of Cremant. No, never I have not. Yes, so Cremants are lovely. So again, a beautiful bubble. Uh, made method champenoise, just not in the Champagne region, but you're getting the terroir of France. So you're still getting the same sort of... Uh, the terra firma has touched it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like the butter in France. You just don't know why, but it's there. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So $30. 30 bucks? $30. Yeah. Okay, listen, wow. I don't want us to run out of time before yes. we talk about your show. Yes! So you have a show called Randall to the Rescue. Randall, Tell us. Randall to the Rescue. Oh yeah, it's Randall. Randall to the rescue. Did you write your own little ditty? No, I have a whole a team. A and so, cool. yeah, so the music department wrote the song. I turned into a, a superhero cartoon character as I'm off to save people from their unfabulousness. When, where, when? Yes. When and where, where can people yes, see yes, yes. I'm coming. So, uh, you can view it on uh, Telus Optic, stream okay. it there, or it lives on YouTube on the Randall channel. And you, we just finished season one and we're filming season two right now. And so the premise of the show is I help people find the fabulous, but I have to learn something along the way too. Oh. Yes, like okay. I had to babysit kids. Oh, yes. They're, well, they're in counseling. Those very, kids are in counseling. <laughs> Randall is also a professional singer. And I mm. think before we sort of head out, so and it is tis the season, maybe you could sing us something festive from sure. one of your shows? Maybe, Just maybe you it's much too early in the game. Ah, uh, but I thought I'd ask you just the same. What do you do in New Year's? New Year's Eve. Woohoo! <laughs> Randall McDonald, the Fabulista. Randall to the rescue. Cheers. Let's hope that 2024 is going to be a happy, healthy, oh, prosperous, successful 100%. year for you, for you, me, yes, and for all of exactly. you. Exactly. Well. And may it be fabulous. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy Early. New Year. <laughs>